I'm so encouraged by that message. Aren't you glad that we all have the responsibility to go to our workplace, to our neighbors, to our school, to our friends, to our families, and maybe to Africa, maybe to a Muslim nation, maybe to another continent to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And what a, what a blessing that is, what a responsibility that is, but what an honor that is as well. I want to give you an opportunity to give tonight in our regular tithe and offering. So I'm going to ask our ushers if they'll come and wait on you. And as they're coming, do I need to move my mic or anything, Steve? Is that better a little bit? Okay, you're welcome. Um, if you would like to give to Bill and Karen tonight, uh, we encourage you to use the envelopes in the chair pocket in front of you if it's cash or check. Make the check out to Christian Life to put a memo on there, Africa or Sudan or Strong for their last name, um, anything like that. If you're going to do text giving, use the word guest and those funds that are given through text giving to the word guest will go to our missionary friends tonight. Let's pray and then we'll get right into our study tonight. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these stories of opportunities to hear the gospel. And Lord, we can be a part of that. We can pray, we can give, and some of us can even go. And Lord, we are thankful that you include us in the telling of your story. The story of redemption, the story of salvation, the story of life transformation. Lord, we want to be a part of our Father's business. And that's what you're all about. So bless this offering tonight. Bless Bill and Karen. Thank you for bringing them our way. Thank you for the burden and passion you've placed on their heart in Africa and in Sudan. And we ask that they would see fruit for their labor. They would see souls for their sacrifice. And that, Lord, you would be given glory in all of it. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for giving tonight. Thank you for praying. Um, I wanted to mention one more thing. There's a slide for a special called prayer meeting this Friday night at Rosewood Church. Um, many of you heard on the news about the shooting at the Hispanic Church Monday night. And uh, Pastor Alfaro and uh, Wilfredo uh, Chaco de Jesus, who is our national uh, general secretary, I believe he's going to be here Friday night and they're asking churches and Christians and pastors from all over Columbia to come and pray on site in that area where that heinous crime was, uh, that shooting took place. Just to ask the Lord to cleanse the land and to bring unity and help and healing to this church and to this family um, and to this area of our city. So it's United in Prayer is the name of the meeting. It's Friday night, August 30th at 7.30 at Rosewood Church. And if you need some more details, just call the church office. We can get that to you. But I plan on being there Friday night for that, and I hope to see you there. I also want to mention one more quick thing. Um, we, we did mention Sunday that one of our brothers at Christian Life, Doug Kingdon, passed away. And uh, I hope you got the email and received the notice of his service. It will be this Saturday, August 31st at 10 o'clock in the Brown Chapel next door. And uh, the family will greet guests at the end of the service. So there's no visitation or viewing beforehand. It just starts at 10 and then the family will see friends uh, after the service is over. So please be praying for his wife um, and daughter, Chris and Amanda. And uh, if you can come to the service, I know it'd be an encouragement and a blessing to them as well. 
Well, last week we started talking about becoming a people of one thing. And what is that one thing? We found it in Matthew 22 is this love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So what is our one thing? To love God, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Last week we talked about David's mighty men and their lavish love for their king to go at his request. And I don't think he said, I want you three guys to go and get me water at the well of Bethlehem. I think he was just saying around the campfire probably, man, it sure would be nice. I'm running for my life and I'm thinking about home and it sure would be nice to have a drink from that well in Bethlehem. And those three mighty men who loved their king and wanted to serve him risked their lives to go and get a flask of water to bring back. And we remember what David did. He poured it out. He said, I can't drink this. It's too precious. It represents the life of three of my men that could have ended because of this lavish act of love. And we learned and talked about what it means to lavishly love the Lord, to focus on him and him alone. Well, tonight we want to look at another biblical illustration of becoming a person of one thing or a people of one thing through the life of the Apostle Paul. And if anybody had bragging rights for having it all figured out religiously, it was the Apostle Paul because he was circumcised according to the Jewish law on the eighth day. He was born into the Israelite tribe of the Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was faithful to the law. And you know what? He was very religious in who he was and what he did, even to the persecution of Christians who would follow Jesus because he felt like that wasn't the right way. That was going against what he had been teaching others and learning himself all those years. And it led him to kill others. Isn't that amazing? His religious performance and his relying on the strength of the flesh drove him to, to murder. And that just blows my mind. But any one of us could follow that same path. But you know what? Paul's motivation changed when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. When he was knocked off his high horse, so to speak. And the light blinded him. And he had to come to his senses. And I love the question that Paul asked. He wasn't a dummy. He said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> And the Lord answered. But what was Paul's motivation? We see it in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, this is Paul talking, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All that he had done, all that religious stuff, all that strength of the flesh he had done, he now is considering it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. And if you look that word up in its original form, it means dung. So it's worse than what we just take out to the road on Wednesday. Um, it's what we flush down the toilet or what we get our kids to pick up in the backyard from the animals. He counted all of this as dung that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness on my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, what is that? What is the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith? Well, it's our justification. 
You might say, well, what does that mean? That means our righteousness. It's just as if I never sinned. God makes us right with him because he justifies us. It's our sanctification or our transformation. We are immediately sanctified in our spirit when we say yes to Jesus. We're ultimately sanctified in our flesh, our physical body, because we're going to receive a glorified heavenly body when we go to be with him. And we're sanctified progressively or daily or incrementally in our mind, will, and emotions as we're being made into the image of Christ. And Paul points to the necessity of fierce abandonment for the sake of one thing. Salvation, we have to understand, cannot be achieved, but it is received as a gift. And by narrowing his options, Paul was able to experience Jesus to the fullest degree possible. Look at all that he pursued and found nothing. And yet when he narrowed his option to Jesus, he found everything. And that's the paradox there. By narrowing his options to the one thing, which is knowing Christ, he was able to experience Jesus to the fullest possible degree. So what were the three foundations of Paul's motivation? Well, if you look at Philippians 3, verse 10, we're just a verse after what we just read. He says this very simply, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, many of us love letter A. I want to know Christ. We're all in for that. And that speaks of sharing intimacy with Jesus. And we do that by spending time in his presence. We do that by reading his word. We do that by worshiping him. We do that by talking to him in prayer. We love the intimacy part. But listen to this next part. I want to know the power of his resurrection. We like that part too. But have you ever stopped to think that the only way you can know what resurrection is, is to have died first? Only the dead know resurrection. And so if you and I want the resurrection power of Christ, we've got to die to ourselves. We have to die to our fleshly nature. We've got to die to the thought that I can do it in my own strength or my religious um, achievements or my religious acumen or my religious activity can make it happen for me. I'm telling you, that's a dead end street. And you'll die a worse death than if you would just come to Christ and die to your flesh. So I want to encourage you to know the power of his resurrection. And, and that speaks to the ability of op operating in the anointing because we cannot operate in the anointing of the Holy Spirit if we're in charge and if we're calling the shots and we're relying on our strength. We must rely on the strength and help of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this last part. This is the part we go, eh, I'm not sure about this. I want to know the participation in his sufferings. Paul took it to the next level. He said he is willing to participate in Christ's death in order to experience his resurrection power and eternal life. And this portrays to us his desire and our desire to bear the inevitable counterattack of suffering and persecution. Think about it. The persecutor became the persecuted. The one who made widows and orphans of many Israelite women and children would now be hunted 
and killed and brought back to life and killed again and brought back to life. If you read the life of Paul, it's incredible how God would use him. And we can reference that from Galatians 2.20. I won't take time to read it, but if you want to write that in the outline of your notes, you can go back and check that later. But let's look lastly here, commitment to Paul's motivation. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love it. Paul has been transformed. His life has been turned around. And yet he realized with all he had experienced and all he had known, he had not arrived. He had not attained it all. He had not experienced it all. He had not come to the place of saying, I've got it. If you want it, come get some. He was still pursuing, pressing in, taking hold of what Jesus did for him when Jesus Christ took hold of him. So let's look at that. Let's break that apart. Letter A, I press on to take hold. Do you know that we will not accidentally lay hold of the things God has called us to? It's not going to fall in our lap. We're not just going to be walking down the street one day and go, oh, well, that's what God has for me. No, we press into that. We pursue that. We ask for the Lord to breathe on the coals of our heart and allow his will and his passion to be birthed in us. We've heard that tonight, even in Bill and Karen's story and testimony. And I love how the Lord just pieces things together and allows things to be illustrated in such profound ways. But you and I will not accidentally lay hold of things God's called us to. And we must continue in a forward motion. Some of us can call it falling forward <laughs> or even failing forward. We must learn from our, our mistakes. But brothers and sisters, if we get stuck in our failure or in our falling, we're not moving forward. In fact, I've seen where people have fallen behind. Because guess what? If you're stuck and you're not moving and everyone else is moving, you're going backwards. Even if you're, not, even if you're standing still. And God does not want us to get stuck, nor does he want us to fall behind. He wants us to move forward. But can I caution us? It's not in the strength of our flesh that we move forward. It's led by the spirit and the power of God. And only in that can we find true satisfaction. Only in that can we find true anointing. Only in that can we find true intimacy. Everything worthwhile is uphill. That's one of my favorite quotes by John Maxwell. If you think about your life, anything that you have achieved or enjoyed or been blessed by has been an uphill battle. And guess what? Those things that are just handed to us are usually more of a curse than they are a blessing. Because we have to understand the hard work that God wants us to walk in. Now, is God a taskmaster or a hard man? No. This is part of of our discipleship. This is part of the maturity process. This is part of us understanding the fullness of his counsel and of his presence and of his peace. So we cannot lay hold of things God has called us to accidentally. We can't get stuck and everything worthwhile is uphill.
Letter B, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That's one thing I can agree with Paul on. The longer I'm in faith, the longer I know Christ, I feel like the less I know. And the more I need him. If we ever get to a place where we feel like we figured it out, we're going backwards. We're, We're doing it wrong because he wants us to rely on him. And Jesus will do whatever it takes to keep us in that place of reliance and dependence on him. He's not called us to be strong enough and then wind us up and set us on our way. That's not how that works. He wants to walk with us. He wants to hear us in our prayers. He wants to speak to us his words of wisdom and life as we go from glory to glory and sometimes from trouble to trouble. But we can even experience glory in our trouble because we're with him and he's in us. And I'm so glad that he doesn't leave us to our own devices for long. He rescues us. Letter C, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That that includes forgiving others, forgiving God and forgiving ourselves. Um, We see that. Regularly, And let me just put a plug in here for R.T. Kendall. He'll be here Sunday. But his book on total forgiveness, that's what it talks about. That's how we take hold of things. That's how we strain and move toward what is ahead by forgetting what's behind. And a lot of times the only way we can forget what is behind is by forgiving others. And letting go. Not holding the grudge. Not holding people to the task. Not making them pay every time they walk in the room or, or we talk to them or we see them uh, at church or at home or at work. We've got to forget what is behind. And the Lord can help us do that. It may have been terrible. It may have been tragic. It may have been life altering, but the Lord's power is big enough to help us forget what is behind and press ahead. Letter D, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? Perfection, intense, personal knowledge of Christ. Becoming all that Christ wants us to be. Here's the paradox. The more mature we become, the more we realize how much further we need to go to become like Christ. That's maturity. Maturity is the realization that I need Christ more today than I did yesterday. So what can we draw? What lessons can we draw from this? The point of being a person of one thing is this. We gain God himself. Can I tell you that something personally in my own life I had to deal with several months back was comparing myself with others. And we, I love what Pastor Darren says. You compare and compete, then you're going to live in defeat. And that's true. So just, just stop it, all of us. I'm just saying it to all of us. Just stop it. Stop comparing your life on Facebook to what everybody else has. But I'm telling you, everybody deals with this. And one of the best things that has helped me and brought me freedom in my walk with the Lord was when I was kind of down on myself. I, I was... I know you're thinking, but Pastor Justin, you're such a great guy. How could you be down on yourself? I have those days too. And this day I was thinking I'm 44 years old and I don't have this 
and I don't have this and my children don't have this and we aren't doing this. And I was comparing and competing. And guess what? I, every time I did that, I was just defeating myself and getting lower and lower. And I, I was just complaining to the Lord. I just be honest with you. Does anybody do that? Is that just me? I was just complaining to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't understand. And I, I want to just take a little rabbit trail right here and say, please read your Bible every day. Please have a reading plan or some systematic way to read through the Bible regularly because God will use that in your life in ways that you cannot imagine. And if you haven't started that yet, this is not a condemnation. This is an encouragement. Start today. When you go home tonight, start your plan. This is day one. Don't try to find day 283. Go to day one today and start today. This is, today, this is day one for you. But just so happened in my Bible reading plan that day that I was complaining to God, it talked about the priests. It talked about the Levites. And they didn't have land. And they didn't have an inheritance. But they had something so much better because the Lord said, I am your inheritance. And the Lord asked me that question in my devotion time, just my personal time with him. He said, am I enough for you? Now, the Lord doesn't ask us questions because he doesn't know the answer. The Lord asks us questions because he wants us to know the answer. And I had to wrestle with him in that moment. And I said, Lord, I want you to be enough. I desire that more than anything else. And so I made a commitment to him that that day and every day I would say, Lord, you are my inheritance. You are enough. And guess what happens when we begin to say he's my inheritance and he's enough? We begin to understand that he's enough. And all the other stuff that used to be flashy and desirous and try to garner our affection and our attention. It just fades in the background. It doesn't matter anymore because he is enough. He's your inheritance. He's my inheritance. The point of being a person of one thing is this. We gain God himself. I love what he said in Genesis 15 to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He didn't say, I'm your protection and I'm going to give you a great reward. He said, no, I'm your protection and I am your reward. I, God himself, I am your reward. And we, we receive encouragement from that even today. Letter B, God reveals himself as our prize. And let her see God also lavishes his love on us and gives us secondary rewards. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. But guess what? It will always be secondary to him. It will never be priority. It will never be first. It will always pale in comparison to him being our prize. Him being our goal. Him being 
our inheritance. So as we end tonight, I just want to ask you this question. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you satisfied with the Lord as your inheritance? I, I don't need to know the answer to that. God doesn't need to know the answer to that. You need to know the answer to that. Are you satisfied with the Lord as your inheritance? And have you set or fixed your eyes on the prize of knowing Christ and becoming more like him? Father, in these few moments as we close out tonight, what a powerful time of worship and prayer, of testimony of your love for all of the world and of your sending obedient servants to carry out your will. Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul who's an example to us to be a man of one thing. You're the prize. You're enough. You're our inheritance. You were Abraham's protection, but you were also his reward. And Lord, we want you to be our reward as well. Teach us how to be a people of one thing. Teach us how to be a person of one thing. Teach us how to be a family of one thing. Remind us that you are the one thing that we desire and want. And Lord, prepare our hearts for next Wednesday when we look at Mary of Bethany, who was a woman of one thing. Help us tonight to answer these questions. Help us tonight to start reading our word and hearing what you have to say about us. Help us tonight to forgive those in our past to forget that stuff and move forward and beyond where we're stuck so we can see your glory and beauty revealed in our lives. That's our desire to be more like you. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. It's time to go get your kids and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday, Lord willing. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.